we go. I'm here with Drew Humphrey. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I love that I get to just talk to people that I look up to. I mean, I would normally have a conversation with you, and and now I get to just have it to where other people can yeah. can can listen in. Uh, Drew Humphrey, real quick, is a um, husband, father, and uh, a pastor at Highland Baptist Church, where he works with college kids, right. a, a lot of college kids. Um, that's like a sum. Is there anything you want to share specifically that I didn't share on that aspect? Good summary. Um, we have four kiddos. Um, all of them are tiny. So four years old, two years old, two years old, and one years old. And uh, we were, for the last three years, we've been foster parents, foster and adopt parents. And so we have three adopted daughters and one biological son. So that's taught me a lot about my faith, about myself, about my marriage, um, and how to balance that with ministry and work and all those things. So definitely have a lot of, uh, have a lot of spiritual kids in the college ministry and a lot of actual kids in our house. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't really, I s- sometimes send people questions when they come in. Um, for the most part, I kind of just let the conversation flow. Riff. Um, I had a conversation last week with Jared and I sent him a bunch of questions. We, I think we answered maybe one of them because I think he started talking and I was like, stop right there. Let's talk about that. And even as you're sitting here, I was going to jump straight into like these questions about being a college pastor and dealing with college kids. But even looking at your shirt, if you're watching, if you see this on YouTube, he's wearing a shirt that says foster and adoption ministry. Um, That's a question I even think to ask you Mm. before you came in. And I'm actually really I'm curious to know just um, so you said you've you fostered three we've had four foster daughters one of them went back home to their family uh, in 2019 and then three of them have ended up being adopted by us mm-hmm. um, so we yeah uh, that was there's a long story there it, they weren't with us the whole time some like one of them was with us and then went home and then came mm-hmm. back uh, two of them came to us after being with somebody else in a different foster home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, their journeys are all very different. But, yeah, we've been foster parents for three years to four little girls, adopted three of those little girls, and we also have a biological son. Mm-hmm. So we have four kiddos in our house. Wow. Yeah. Um, try to keep this part short, but mm-hmm. wh- where did that initial desire to adopt and foster come from? Um, in a natural sense, kind of in this, in a worldly way, my wife, uh, is now a nurse. Her name's Holly. Holly is now a nurse, but before she was a nurse, she worked at a kind of local foster care ministry as a social worker. And so that opened up our eyes to the need, uh, and simultaneously some of our friends became foster parents. And so we were kind of helping them, ministering to them, helping to babysit, things like that. So we're kind of on the front lines with the work and on the front lines with our friends, and saw like the need and just were burdened by that. Um, and then obviously there's like a whole lot of supernatural beyond the natural, a whole lot of spiritual answer to that question too, of just the, you know, James one twenty seven talks about that the pure religion is one that takes care of the orphans and the widows. And so just mm-hmm. felt burdened by that. Um, and, um, even just felt a sense of calling and compelling from the Lord that it was something that he had called us to do. Everyone has different calling. Some people move to China, you know, off of a compelling and calling from God. Some people, um, you know, have a, a different calling locally for us. It, it was and is the foster and adoption thing. And mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of what's motivated us, what's compelled us, what's carried us through some heavy and hard days and some really happy days too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. One of the common themes that I've talked about on this podcast is 
fatherhood, mm. how that relates to the fatherhood of God right. and, and the connection. Like I've been trying to draw that connection. Mm. My story growing up without a dad, God stepped in, mm. filled that gap mm. in ways I could talk for years about, right, for which sure. I probably will. Here you are on the podcast, hopefully yeah, for ex- years. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And one aspect of, of, like basically from my own experience, I've seen how God is aspects of God you can just see all over mm. life and all over just like the the wired structure of the universe mm-hmm. family being perhaps the biggest right, oh, for sure and for so better or worse for better for, for yeah, worse yeah, absolutely yeah. and so I mean my in my own journey of, of becoming whole mm. of becoming secure of becoming confident I mean, the things that everybody wants. Mm. Like everybody wants to have an identity, know who they are. Right. Everybody wants to feel loved. Mm. They want to know that they're loved. They want to know that they're enough. They want to mm. know that I have meaning and I have purpose and, and I don't have to earn. Like everybody wants it, but they also, want to, they also don't want to earn it because they're like, I've tried earning it and it doesn't work. Right. Right. And so mm. I think it was a design for, for parents and specifically fathers to love their kids mm. And let them know, I love you, and it's not based on your performance mm-hmm. because I believe that that's what God thinks about us. Exactly. Um, do you agree with that, by yeah, the way? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure, yeah. um, and so it's interesting now. I want to know, how does the re- how does that reflect in fostering and adopting? Mm, yeah. Is there a connection between fostering and adopting and, and God, like, fostering and adopting us? Yeah. And what have you learned from that? That's a great question. I mean, I think... A lot of that, if you ask me in 15 years, I'll have a much richer answer uh, mm-hmm. because all of my children are toddlers. They're three, two or four years old. You know, um, These big questions that are going to come up in their life about adoption, the void of, of their parents you know, um, you know, in their life, their biological parents, that is. Um, well, I'm sure every child will handle that differently, you know, each one of them. And, um, and so I think it's, it's our job, Holly and my, in the reflection of God's love for us, you know, to adopt them as our own there's there's not some sort of second class nature you know to them compared to our son it's a big reason why we fostered before we had biological children was because mm-hmm. we wanted there to be that you know no competition and, and it's perfectly fine if people foster or adopt after they have biological children but for us we had that opportunity to decide and we chose to foster first and adopt first and that was really special because it, it allowed us to bond with them as parents they were our babies even though we were simultaneously you know it was possible that they might go home. We were supporting their, their biological family as well in that effort, you know, at certain times. Um, but we, you know, they were our children. There was no competition. So we wanted them to feel that from us, even as an infant. You know, there's all these studies out there about, I mean, there's a reason why we don't do a lot of, we don't do any orphanages in America. And that's because, you know, over the decades and over the studies and everything, we've realized that just that, that children need parents in their life not just not just a bed you know not a room of 50 bunk beds and and a hot meal and a a yard to play in in school like an orphanage but what they need are is a stable home a a parent figure or two figures to love them to give them that that love and security you know even if it's temporary in a foster setting you know and Mm -hmm. that like is a game changer for like how your brain wires you know and so uh, relating that back to God, obviously God adopts us in salvation, and that is like secure. That is, there's no difference. There's no distinction. He loves us fully to the maximum, you know, each one of us. One of the things that I'm learning about God specifically in my situation is that because we have four little children, again, ages four, two, two, and one at this point, um, I'm learning a lot about 
you know, in, in, in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus looked on the crowds and had compassion for them as individuals. And of course, four little kids is not a crowd, but my home is very full. My life is very, you know, it can be often like I, f- I can, I can go into like as a parent preschool teacher mode where it's like, all right, now it's, it's playground time. Now it's eating time. Now it's singing time. You know, now it's bedtime, you know, and kind of corralling these kids when actually like Christ, like God with us, like he has all of these children that he loves equally and he gives us individual attention. You know, he gives us the, the way that I interact with one of my daughters is, is different than the way that I, that I need to help my other daughter or my son to, to grow up, to mature. And so there's like an individual nature, even though there's a crowd aspect in a family. And I think that's something I'm learning as a father. So you literally love them all the same? Yes, I love them all the same. Now, <laughs> maybe if we were doing the whole, you remember during the pandemic when like families would get together and it's like, okay, we're going to rank, we're going to make a pyramid. Did you ever see those? Like, it'd be like a family trip and it'd be like, all right, let's rank all the family members of who's been the most annoying today. Cause they had to spend like the entire day together. During <laughs> I've never the seen that, but that it was awesome. hilarious. And it was like, Oh, you know, they would like kind of reveal it one level at a time to figure out who the best person was. Of course, like there are days where, you know, and seasons and whatever, where some kiddos are easier to like than others, but I love them all the same. They're, they're wonderful. See, that's like, that's such a crazy concept to mm-hmm. me as I don't have kids right. yet. How does that how does that mm-hmm. work? How do you actually love these kids differently? And and also with your adopted kid and your biological mm-hmm. kid. Yeah. Do you love them the same? I would say if anything it was harder for me to bond with my biological son than it was to bond with my foster now adopted daughters. Why? And, um I think there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, I don't mean now. Me and him are, are like we, he's like one and we're, you know, hanging out. We 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 do all the things at one Fantasy year. football together. Yeah, fantasy football, that <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm training him up. I bought him a Dallas Cowboys jersey and you know all that stuff. But um so I don't mean now. I mean more of like in this first six months of life. I think part of that was just because in the foster and adoption process with the girls, there was so much so much like fight every day for them, for their health, for their development. You know, it was like protecting them, helping them, you know, giving them, meeting their needs, helping them to catch up if they were behind physically or developmentally or whatever else, right? And so like there was so much, and then of course you were like, your, your stomach was a knots thinking mm-hmm. about the fact that one day they may not be here anymore. Yeah. And so there was just this, I feel like it's sort of like if you were going through war with your buddies, it's like, man, like I just like went through something mm-hmm. with them, you know? And so for my son's name is Parker for like Parker and I, like we didn't really go through that. So like we bonded in a different way uh, we've had to bond in a slower pace mm-hmm. um, compared to just sort of the like high trauma, high, you know, which, which produces like a, a, a deepness to the relationship when you're going through something as traumatic as, you know, the whiplash of foster ministry. And so that's when something I've had to learn as a, as a parent for sure. Yeah. So, again, my this is just how my brain works. Yeah, I'm good. always going towards, or I'm always trying to connect. How are how is like a physical reality demonstrating a spiritual reality, mm-hmm. right? Because I just believe that we exist in this deeper reality. Um, otherwise, what 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 is depression? Mm-hmm. What is deep pain? That right. When he doesn't like when you're depressed and you like don't even know why mm-hmm. or right. it's like you have your basic necess- necessities right. and you're still depressed. There's something going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And so drawing that, that connection, if you being a human mm-hmm. 
that's not been here forever can have this these thoughts of and I'm like so I so love this child that I didn't even give birth to mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. right not my bio- biological kid right adoption it's like is it to me it must be that God feels similar because mm, where right. do we get it it's not like we taught god how yeah, to, to exactly. love an adopted kid mm. right yeah i think that's right yeah and you think about the sort of whiplash of our own sin you know like how <laughs> that god would love us before we loved him mm-hmm. you know so it, it's this yeah and, and again it's a reflection it's not a perfect reflection of god's love but in fostering it's like there is an there's an aspect of my love for my daughters at one point in their life where like i might not have been their father forever and actually, I remember one of the first lessons I learned about parenthood as a foster parent was the the spiritual understanding that God is a jealous God. Because I was like, you know, holding this little baby who actually the one who didn't stay with us, you know, mm-hmm. she ended up going back to her home. And I was rocking her to sleep one night, maybe like 10 days into being there. And I, I, I thought about, I sort of had this flash forward of like her go, being in high school and her going to college and her, you know, hopefully one day walking down the aisle and me not being that person in her life. And of course that was a good thing. Her parents succeeded and were able to bring her back. That was the point of what we were trying to succeed with. But I had this jealousy over Mm -hmm. her, you know, and the fact that like, and it was, it wasn't sinful. It was like just fatherly, you know? And like, again, it's, it's not the perfect reflection because we're, you know, we're not talking about, it's not like this child's committing sin to get out of, you know, to be out of relationship with me. But it's, it's, it was sort of a reflection of that idea of, of God being a jealous God. And how that love is just so deep for us, even before we love him, you know? And so, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it makes me think about, I mean, I would assume that you probably have this verse memorized, but what's the verse in the Bible about God adopting us? I mean, yeah, sons? there's a few of them. Yeah. There's quite a <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. Right. And just yeah. Been, I actually want to yeah. just like look that up really mm-hmm. quick. Um, I want to say it's Ephesians, but I could be wrong on that. You're being exposed right now, dog. That's fine. Should, oh, oh wait a, a second. Have smartphones there. Ephesians three twenty. You, you were Ephesians, right. Yeah. All right. It's like five. Was there five? There, yeah, there's there's, so a, there's quite a bit, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll just read some of them. Beloved, we are ch- God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Um, that doesn't actually use the word adoption, mm-hmm. but Ephesians three twenty says. Um, maybe this is not Ephesians three twenty, but this there's this verse says he predestined us for adoption mm-hmm. as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Mm. I feel like that's Romans. Mm. Um, oh no, Ephesians one five. Yeah, he predest he predestined us. Another translation: God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family yep. by bringing us to Himself through Jesus. Mm. How has the power of like the idea of God adopting us mm. increased since you actually began adopting your yeah. own kids. I've, the word just, I mean, of course, I, for, I mean, for context, I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor, so I've been around church, you know, since I was born, you know, and so I've been around scripture, sang all the songs, did the VeggieTales thing, you know, so I've been around the word adoption, you know, for I'm 31, 31 years of my life. But I've only, I did, it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I actually was a, an adoptive parent, that I had adoptive children, you know. And um, so I, I would say that, like, the switch in my heart, there was just, I, honestly, I, I would, like, almost neutralize it beca- because I have the context of having another, a, a biological child. That I feel like it is so similar, 
you know, that they're like, sometimes we want to like categorize it as like these different, you know, things, but there's just this moment where like, whether it's the kids walking up your driveway because they're an adoptive foster child or it's you're in the hospital where there's just this sense of, of, of like a role that you have in their life, you know? And now that might, you might fail at that role. You know, you might, there have been days where I have not been a, a, a good father. There are fathers in the world that have, have let their sons and daughters down. But there's just this sense of of people are depending on me, you know. And, you know, like I, I recently heard a coach say, like he's like a new coach in, in, in football, and he was like saying, they were like, how, how much different is it to be a head coach compared to just like an assistant coach? And he said, he's like, honestly, he's like it's easier than I thought it would be, which kind of sounds like an arrogant thing to say. But he said, what I mean by that is not it's easier to succeed but it's easier to care because I look around the room and I see literally hundreds of people who depend on me. You know, mm. it's like I, I, I have to raise the bar of, of how hard I work, you know, how serious I take integrity, how serious I take, you know, in, in his, in his context, the sport, but as a father, like I look around my house now and I wake up in the morning before they get up and I'm like praying and trying to get my heart right before the day. And I'm like, I need to get my, myself right today with the Lord as a father, adoptive or biological, because people are depending on me, mm-hmm. you know, today, you know, in my ministry, in my family. And that's like been a, a transformative thing that again, I mean, maybe it doesn't answer exactly your question about being an adoptive parent, but like, obviously even more so like someone let this little child down, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they were fatherless at a point, you know? And so now it's like even more so they depend on me because I'm stepping in the gap that someone else has already, yeah. you know, let them down. And, yeah. You know. So what I hear you saying is, um, you as a father of adopted children, you you are so aware of how much they need. Mm. You're so aware of how mm. dependent they are upon you. Mm. And you, I'm assuming, based on what you're saying, mm. are going to do everything you can to take care of their right. needs. Right. As best I can, you know, trying to be as selfless as I can. And every day I right. have layers of selfishness that I'm trying to peel back. Yeah. Whereas unlike God, obviously. Right. (laughs) So what I hear as someone who doesn't understand the tangible, what Mm. you just described, because I do not have adopted kids, nor was I adopted Mm. by a, by like a foster parent, whatever. Mm. What I hear that and what I see is I connect it to. If you drew being a man, having limited resources, Mm. limited strength, Mm desire so badly to meet the needs of your kids, mm. your adopted kids, and you're so aware mm. of their insuffic- insufficiency on their own. Mm. And you want to take care of those. I hear God mm-hmm. knows how insufficient Silas is. That's right. God knows how dependent mm. I am on him. And he wants so badly to meet my mm. needs. That's right. But he is not limited mm-hmm. and he is all powerful. Right. He has access to everything. And mm-hmm. so when, when I can really believe that and I, I get to, to walk in the, the peace and rest knowing that my God knows my needs better than Drew Humphrey knows his adopted kids That's needs. Right needs and and he's gonna meet mm, those that's right uh, i love that it's a perfect analogy yeah, yeah so that that's what i mean mm. by i love to just look around at the world and mm. see how god is showing himself mm. in different people yeah. and it's like okay you've experienced fostering and adoption you've carried all the weight. i can't like the sleepless mm. nights mm. the the stress the an- anxiousness mm. all the battles of struggling and fighting mm. 
fighting for for them to believe that you're good mm. you know mm. you've gone through that and felt the weight mm. i haven't right but when i sit here and ask you a question and i can like sit here and really imagine that and then i think this is just a piece yeah. of god exactly and and mm. i've read adoption before mm. so if i want to gain and ultimately that's the point it's mm-hmm. the point of this podcast is like right. i want to know this stuff mm-hmm. If so, and, and if, if other people can, can kind of tap into it as well and get it, right, sure. Right. But if nobody listens, that's fine yeah, because I want it, mm, you know? Exactly. And so. I love that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Man, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for asking. And uh, it's a big part of our lives. And, you know, it's certainly changed the way I think about God, changed the way that I think about every day, you know, in ministry and everything. And so it's been, it's sweet. I would, any, anybody who wants to know about fostering, I'll give you a pump up speech. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. We need, we, we need a lot of foster parents and adoptive parents. Yeah. So. Man. Yeah, so explain to me a little bit share a little bit about just like how you've had to fight for those kids yeah and even against themselves mm. i'm mm. sure because they probably warred against you right? right yeah especially if they were the some of the older kind of even when they're two or three and they kind of get placed yeah i mean i would say that the biggest fight has been against my own selfishness you know you just like even from the beginning, when Holly brought up the idea five years ago, six years ago, hey, what do you think about becoming foster parents? My first inclination was like, I could never, I, I, I know I should, but I, I would never be able to see a child leave my home. You know, like I could never receive them and then willingly be like, go, mm-hmm. you know, which is the point of fostering. I mean, the, the, the first goal of fostering is that their parents succeed and you can see the child return to them, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't happen often, hence why we've adopted three of our children. But um, and so just even in that initial, and thankfully my wife called me out and said, well, that's selfish, you know, those mm-hmm. kids need us, you know? Yeah. And, and then over the course of that, that was like step one of a hundred, you know, of, of trying to grow in selflessness and exposing yourself to hurt, you know? And, and so, you know, for me, I would say, yeah, that, that's just like one of the biggest things that's, that as I, as we fought, it's like almost fighting yourself and, and in especially in the relating, relating to their family, their biological family. One of the, the highest premiums that we put on all of our kiddos is that we wanted their families to know, at least in the beginning, and then see how the, everything you know goes over that time, but that we are for them. Mm-hmm. You, you are their mom. You are their dad. We support you. We want to see you succeed. We love your daughter, but and we, we will treat her like our own, but like ultimately we're here to help you. And that's been amazing but it's also been hard like i mean one of my daughter's fathers is my age we're the exact same age we would have been in school mm-hmm. at the same time we've had 100 percent different lives you know from you know he's had kids since he was a teenager he's been in he was in juvie as a teenager just different lives you know and mm-hmm. he um and but he and i are friends and we became friends because we both loved the same child you know wow. and from the beginning and, and being able to but we've also hurt each other you know there have been times where you know, we've said things to each other in the parking lot of a Chuck E. Cheese, you know, <laughs> where it's like, you know, it's like we're, we're having a, a family day with them or something. And, and there's things that are said that are hurtful, you know, but we've hugged each other. We, we've shaken hands. We've said, we love you. You know, we support you. We're for you. They've said the same thing to us, you know? And so it's this sort of struggle against, you know, what is best for this child and how do we, how do we support that? There have been times where what was best for the child was for us to hand the child back. And that was, that was what was decided. You know, most of this is out of our hands. We're just mm-hmm. kind of like on the ride as foster parents. Uh, then there were times where the, what was best for the child was for them to stay with us. And that's what the courts or the families decided, you know? And so the point is, is just being able to fight your own selfishness and trying to like control the outcome, but being able to fight for what is best for the child, even if that's at your own expense, mm. you know, and that's been the biggest, you know, 
most difficult part of it. And even now, I mean, we're, we're past all the fostering stuff. We have three adopted daughters, but I realized that five, 10, 15 years from now, like they're going to hate me for one reason or another. They're teenage daughters. Like that's what, you know, kids do. They love their parents, but they also struggle, you know, as they grow up, we all do that with our parents. And so like one of the things that they might struggle with is this element of adoption or this element of, you know, why did this happen this way? Or, or perhaps they're upset with their biological parents. Perhaps they're upset with us for what, for what you know, the circumstances of, of their situation. And so I understand that the, the struggle to fight is not over just because it's like they're a Humphrey now. You know, yeah. there, there's a developmental, you know, fight that goes on in their heart and in our family's life. And hopefully in the relationship that they will have with their biological family too going forward is they obviously will have questions about them and want to know yeah. them as well. You know? Yeah, absolutely. One of the, the key things that sticks out to me about adoption um, is that, I mean, you have to, I, I'm assuming every, any, any kid, who, kid who's been adopted has to wrestle through, why didn't my biological right. parents want me? Right. I can't imagine that. Yeah, me neither. Um, and, and hopefully one day, if, if somebody's listening out there has been adopted, mm. I'd love to talk to you. Right. Um, I wonder how, like, how have you been able to let your kids know mm. that they're they're wanted? Mm. You know, like yeah. I don't right while being rejected, mm. yeah, still being wanted. Like, mm. how does that work? It's interesting because we have we have different yeah kids. Uh, it's interesting because we have different kids like from different families, so they're not. It's not all the same situation. You know, you might have like one play. You know, if if it was like the same thing. Um, for me, uh, we have children who, who are the same race as us. We have children that are not, you know, so that'll play out in, in, in different ways too, you know, in, in terms of how they, they there's not going to be some sort of like secretive, you know, element of their adoption. You know, we're not going to sit them down as 10 year olds and say, hey, by the way, you were adopted. Um, so there, that's uh, the way that I've been taught and the way that we have kind of operated as parents, Holly and I, is that we want this to always be a part of their story, you know, is like, is, is being able to talk to them about, what happened and, and how it happened and, and be able to share with them, like, you know, whether it be different circumstances, you know, your, your mommy and daddy or your mommy was friends with, with us. And we became friends because we loved you and we both cared for you. And in the end, your mommy or your mommy and daddy made the decision that um, it was best for you because they loved you. It was best for you to stay with us and to, to become a home free. Mm -hmm. And hopefully 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, we still have the friendships that we have with their parents so that then they can have those conversations with them. And there's not this question mark of who is my mom? Who is my dad? What happened? You know, and hopefully we're on the same page with them. Hopefully we're not enemies. We're friends and we can be on the same page for what's best for the child. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the good news is that for all three of our adoptive daughters, the decision for them to become Humphreys and be adopted was, was actually the genesis of that was a place of trust between the Humphreys and their biological parents mm. from months prior to that decision being made. You know, it was a, a place of, I am at peace and I trust the Humphreys and my children are, might even be better off with the Humphreys. We did not do some campaign to make them feel that way. That was not the genesis of our intent, but God allowed that to happen in the midst of their situation, their struggles and the case that they were, you know, finding themselves in as it related to CPS, you know, mm -hmm. and and so again, that's not why we started out. We we started out to support them to see the kids go home, and in every situation, that was actually the plan. Months and months, six, twelve months later, they were going home, or they had already gone home. But then, as things, as the 
the pressure, you know, increases on the end of the case and, and it's going to be over and the kids are returning home. Sometimes that can lead to various outcomes of the mm-hmm. parents deciding, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this or, or I trust the Humphreys or, you know, it might be better off for my daughter or my daughters to, to stay with them, those kind of a things. And so yeah. hopefully we can, that's the truth. And so I don't have to twist the truth. And so I can just communicate the truth to them that this is, is how we came to this conclusion. And now you have four parents instead of two, you know, you yeah. live under our roof, but like, they're still a part of your life. They're still a part of your yeah. you know family history. And we're not going to protect you from that or, or try to keep that out of your life. Do um, you have any kids whose parents actually just didn't want them? It's complicated. Uh, two of our, we, two of our kiddos. Um, yeah, it was, it was more of a situation of like, I think that their mom wanted them but knew that she could not provide mm-hmm. the best place for them. And because she loved us and trusted us, meaning Drew and Holly, she made the decision to, mm-hmm. to make that handoff kind of happen. So. It, does it happen often where the parents just don't want the kids and they give them up? I think, yeah. I mean, it would surprise me if there are people, a lot of people who like don't want their kids. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, really it comes back to a lot of things that have nothing to do with kids. Like yeah. what do we want most? You right. Know? And whatever you want most, like other things take a back seat to that, you know, and that's that. And sometimes that's not your fault. Sometimes that's like I, you know, the, the way that I was raised, you know, mm-hmm. set me up in a way that, you know, led me into a lifestyle that's not conducive for raising children. You know, right. so it's, it's sometimes not even your fault. You might have, you know, been hooked on drugs or something, you know, from a medication or from, you know, a family member, or something that wasn't your fault at the beginning. But mm-hmm. it's, it's playing out in your life now as a parent. So it's not always their fault. Um it certainly can have generational reasons or poverty or different things like that. But, uh, the point is, is like, I think it's pretty rare in my experience with, with biological parents who have their kids removed that it's pretty rare that they just don't want them, Yeah, you know? And I would even say that for, you know, I don't know your whole story, Silas, but even in a situation where maybe like a, a parent disappears on you kind Mm -hmm. of thing or, you know, or like a, a dad is just absent like I would I would guess if you were able to sit genuinely down across the table with with most of those parents I can't speak to your specifically I'm not talking about you exactly but that at, at the the core of their their sadness the core of that they is wouldn't. I want yeah. to be there but I just have I have these other things and barriers between right them, you know? like uh, yeah I agree with you yeah. I mean I, I I feel like it would be a rare thing mm-hmm. for a to go and actually sit down with even an absent father. Like right. even if I had a chance to sit down with my dad, which is not possible because mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. But if, if I did and asked him, I was like, yo, like, what was the deal? Mm-hmm. Like, did you just not want me? Right. I'm, I'm pretty convinced he would, he wouldn't say, no, I didn't want you. Right. You know, he would, he would explain why he made the choices he'd make. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, you're a coward right. for that. Right. Um, but I forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I think either way, the ch- the child is going to have to wrestle through this rejection. Yes, because it's regardless if they know their heart or not, mm-hmm. they feel rejected. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. when your child or children mm-hmm. inevitably at some point come to you right. when they're older and say, "Why, mm-hmm. why did my parents not want me?" Mm-hmm. What are you gonna say? hope that's a while from now because I, <laughs> I need to pray into that question but well, I'm glad I'm starting you yeah now. exactly yeah yeah certainly Holly and I actually have begun talking about those things and you know really praying through that and reading books and asking friends who have gone through it before oh man um 
again, I, I think telling them the truth is important. There, you know, depending on their age, obviously that will depend on what's going on. But also, I mean, the reality is, I am just because I stepped in that gap, gap as their father does not make me a perfect father, you know. And so mm-hmm. for me, just like thinking, you know, kind of out loud here. I would want to point them to like, Hey, I have let you down as a father, you know, mm-hmm. as your adopted father, I am not a perfect father. You know, I could pass away before you graduate high school. I could, you know, the, I could disappear from your life for a variety of reasons. You know, I'm not planning to, but that could happen, you know? And so mm-hmm. just pointing them towards the greater foundation of a father, mm-hmm. right. Of just saying that just because I stepped in doesn't make your biological father, you know, this person to be hated, their circumstances in his or her life, that led them to this. And here's the truth of how that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage you, my daughter to let me help you seek those answers with them, you know, yeah. um, like, and, and to try to fill those gaps, like connect those mental dots and emotional dots. Cause that's something I cannot do no matter how wonderful of a home I give them and how much I love them. Like there, there's a biological tie to their biological parents, you know, no matter how many father figures you have in your life, it, they'll never, 100 mm-hmm. percent fill that biological tie that you have to your biological father you know and the same goes with my kids you know, even though some of them have never met them you know they've hardly met them there will be like a, a tie there and so obviously i cannot meet that their parents cannot meet that because of the decisions they've made so ultimately it has to be something that the lord fills and the lord connects for them and gives them peace and you know as a seven-year-old versus a 17-year-old versus a 27-year-old when they're becoming parents like that's going to the Lord's going to meet that in, in a v- variety of different ways, you know, mm. across the spectrum there. And so yeah. it's my job as their parent to, to point them to the Lord, but also to help them to understand the truth of the situation and hopefully have a relationship that's safe for their age with their parents to meet that, yeah. to answer those questions with them. You yeah. Know? You know, it's interesting. Um, as I've wrestled through this same question, mm. right? I've had that question. The conclusion that I came to was that um, I don't think I was after hmm, let me think about this for a second yeah like when I I guess when I asked that question like what did my dad not want me I would say that it wasn't even really that that bothered me so much it was the consequences mm-hmm. of him not being there that bothered me so much right you know, and then when I had found that God was my perfect father, mm. that Hebrews 13 would never leave me, never forsake me. He was the ultimate. He was my ultimate true father. Like, even if my dad was there, you know, he's a temporary father. Right. At some point, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't. I'm, I mean, I never asked this question to anybody, mm. but I'm sure someone who has had their dad just die in like an accident. Mm-hmm. or die of cancer or something. I could imagine being mad at them. Like I, I could see that happening where someone being like mad at your, their dad for dying too soon or something mm-hmm. and being like, why did you leave? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he didn't, yeah, he didn't, he choose, didn't that. choose that. Right. Yeah. So it's like, if I think at the end of the day, every father is going to leave you. Mm-hmm. Right. And in that way, forsake you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would suggest that, God is our perfect father and he will always be our perfect father. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it doesn't matter if you were given up by your biological parents Mm -hmm. or 
weren't right. at some point they leave you and you have to like almost wrestle mm-hmm. with dang my dad has left me mm-hmm. that's right yeah and that's i mean honestly in like a and I, i've really wrestled with that and thought about that a lot as a foster parent kind of from the other direction of being a father because when you see you know one of the things i had to come to peace with was what it taught me as a foster parent because kids would come and kids would go you know and they had, i had no control over it. it didn't matter how much i loved them or how good of a father i was like they would leave there would be times when they left on two occasions and I realized that that is the exact same thing that could happen to me as a biological father, you know, that just because, you know, that I should, I, that I need, just because they're biological versus foster, there, there's, there's of course an increased chance that they leave my family as a foster child, but nothing is promised. No marriage is promised. No mm-hmm. job is promised. No family. I mean, Holly has uh, had a little sister who passed away when she was younger, you know, and um, so it really changed my perspective to how I love and how I feel security every single day. You know, talk about identity, like my identity as a father, my identity as a husband, my identity as a college minister, like all of that could, could disappear tomorrow right. and have nothing to do with me or my, you know, bad decisions. And so to build, to protect, you know, my house and my family and my ministry in such a way that it's like, well, as long as I have these things then I'm secure mm. is just like asking for, you know, a breakdown of your life because those things are all losable, you know, whether you lose them because you pass away or you lose your job or your family or, you know, something tragedy happens in your life. And so again, I I mean, of course I'll still grieve and be horribly sad. It will be catastrophic if any of those things were to happen. Like it's not like you can avoid that kind of grief, Mm -hmm. but there's that question of like, what is my foundation most fully built on and foster parenting has taught me that, you know, and I think you were kind of looking at it from the view of, a a son who was raised without a dad Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it from the view of like a dad who has had children leave, you know? And and so it's kind of interesting to, to approach that question from both sides and come to the same conclusion. Yeah. And that's cool. So that's one of the things I even wrote down, even as we always thought about these ideas of identity and security and confidence and all that was that exact thing that I learned. So, yeah. So where does your identity come from? I mean, ultimately it comes from Christ because of, of what I just talked about. Like I had to learn that lesson of, my circumstances around me, my abilities around me were insufficient to feel secure, to feel confident, to feel full in my identity. Of course, you know, I love being a minister. I love being a husband. I love being a father. It doesn't mean that I don't love those things. Mm -hmm. Those are part of my identity that I'm proud of and that I fight for that. I, you know, people depend on me, you know, and I, and I, so I, I live my life differently because of that. But ultimately my identity is in Christ as a Christ follower. And of course I will be a better father, a better minister, a better husband if that is true. And so, you know, how that is true, it has depended on the season and depending on who's depending on me, you know, but it's all, it's what I, what I've been learning, especially over the last three or four or five years as I've um, been growing as a man is just being able to build that confidence daily not just in a macro sense, like, oh, I'm, you know, my identity is in Christ. Like, what does it mean to actually put coal into that, you know, lead engine, you know, every yeah. single day of that truth so that it continues to go? You know? So what do you mean exactly by my identity is in Christ? Hmm. What does that mean? I mean, I think about Job. I think about the disciples in the New Testament, so Old Testament, New Testament, like, Ultimately, what is the the most ultimate thing about me every single day? What is what is going to bring me 
confidence? What is going to bring me security? What is going to bring me satisfaction? Is it that my marriage is going well? Is it that I'm married at all? You know, is it that now I don't have to worry about CPS in my life because we're not foster parents anymore. And like, I know I have these kids and they're like, is that what brings me security? You know, or is it that, oh man, the ministry's growing and we have, you know, a lot of college students. And so like, that brings me security. And you know, it's like, or is it this, this identity being like, I understand who I am, my strengths, my gifts, you know, my passions. And I want to aim those every single day towards Christ, not towards even my spouse uh, or my kids or my ministry. Of course, all those things are going to be in the splash zone mm-hmm. of that. But like aiming that towards Christ as saying like, I want to most ultimately honor him. And that's one thing that I've just, I, I think identity like for me has been something where it's like I've, I've, I've felt like to accomplish that like in a day-to-day way is, is like to, Durham has this, this thing, it's like let's double strengthen our strengths, double strengthen our strengths. So it's like, building the confidence in my identity in Christ. And that is like, what am I strong at? How has God wired me as a person, as a man, as a pastor, as a father, whatever it is. And like, what are those strengths? What are those passions? Mm-hmm. What are those gifts? And like, if I focus on all of my weaknesses, then I'll, then I'll feel incredibly insecure about my identity, yeah. <laughs> you know, but when I, when I really can emphasize my strengths and, and live in my strengths, you know, um, and not try to be people that I'm not, but really run those plays that I know how to run and, and, and continue to double strengthen the strength. That doesn't mean that I'm satisfied mm-hmm. because actually to double strengthen a strength means that I'm working to grow. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to refine, always trying to grow, but realizing that like, I'm not going to be strong in everything, but, but what am I strong in? How can I be the strongest, you know, disciple maker for these college students, you know, and yeah. just a leader or the strongest father that these kids could ever know the strongest husband, um, and, and not in physical strength, but in that strength that is like rooted in Christ of, mm-hmm. of, of no matter what, you know, you talk about Hebrews 13, Hebrews 12, like that when everything else is shaken, you know, the only thing that's remaining is the unshakable. Yeah. You know? And, um, and so just that for me is something that I think that idea of like practically speaking, instead of like that kind of 10,000 foot view, but practically speaking, like trying to double strengthen my strengths as a father, as a husband, as a minister, as a man, mm-hmm. my passions, my gifts. Like I've found a lot of security, identity, confidence in my identity in Christ when I really lean into those strengths, you know? Yeah. I mean, like think about you, like, I mean, this whole thing that you got going here and like, you know, it's like, this is obviously a gift. This is always obviously a passion. You love, you know, all of the things that you do with cameras yeah. and with sound equipment and with traveling and all the things. Yeah. And like being able to, you know, compound that double strengthen the strength, but also aim that at Christ has mm-hmm. brought you, I'm assuming a whole lot of security confidence in your identity in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't that you stripped away all this stuff and just like went to the church every day. <laughs> it was that you actually said, I w- these are things that define me that are about me, that are gifts from God, that are yeah. strengths from God. And how do I aim that at Christ? How do I double strengthen those things to honor him, to glorify him and to make a difference, yeah. you know, in the world around me. And so I gain a lot of identity and confidence from that. Yeah, I think that I've been thinking I've been thinking often on this idea that your potential will only ever be met when you're operating without fear. Mm-hmm. And in order to truly walk in identity, your identity you have to have no fear, Mm. which means that you have to be okay with who you are. Mm. I think the only way I I can be okay with who I am is if I believe what God says about me. Mm. 
and so I mean even what you're saying about doubling your strengths mm-hmm. and stuff like I think about that I'm like okay how do I double my strengths mm-hmm. well I have to believe that my strengths are are a good thing mm-hmm. and the things that I don't have that's not me right and it's okay yeah it's okay that somebody else has that strength and I don't mm-hmm. right exactly but it's so easy to, to look around and be like I don't have that strength so I don't have any strengths mm-hmm. And then you start operating in, in this place of fear and trying to right. be something you're not and, and 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 almost be like, okay, I can't walk in. I, I feel like I have this strength, but what if I fail in it? Does mm. that mean I don't have that strength? Right. And then again, fear starts to choke that out. Mm. And so you kind of trace it back to, well, how do I really walk in, in what all that God made me to walk with? Well, mm. you, you can't have fear. Well, how do you not have fear? Mm. Well, I think Jesus says, or um, John says, mm that perfect love casts out fear for Mm -hmm. there's for fear has to do with punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, so understanding I'm trying to tie this all together Mm -hmm. and who knows someone listening might be like, that makes no sense. But what makes sense to me right now is hearing kind of what I hear you saying is in order to double my strength, I have to understand how much God loves me Mm -hmm. for who I am. Right. First. Mm hmm. And then if I realize how much he loves me, the fear is gone. Mm-hmm. And now I actually can double those strengths because right. there is no fear. Exactly. Because fear is what mm-hmm. keeps you mm-hmm. from doubling strengths mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. meeting your potential. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, it does make sense. And yeah, it's like there was a a, a thought too in that where it's like just with, with the strengths or the security that you have, the identity that you have, it's recognizing like where that comes from mm-hmm. because – you know, all of us have like operated out of a place of like, oh, I, I can do this without God. I think all of us who are believers can say that, you know, and um, that we've been there at, at some time or maybe, you know, someone has, is doing that right now. And one time I, I heard this said, um, it was this book called The Blessing of Humility. It, w- it was noting uh, these things that uh, basically that, you know, how does someone become secure is actually by um, becoming increasingly insecure in yourself. Mm-hmm. You're becoming secure in God by being insecure in yourself. And, and what this guy noted who wrote this book was that in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says that he was the least of the apostles. You know, that's like one of those phrases you hear in the New Testament. He's like, I'm the least of the apostles, kind of like, you know, self-shaming. Mm-hmm. And he wrote that in like AD 54. So, you know, about 20 years after Christ, you know, died on the cross. So 1 Corinthians 15, the least of the apostles. And then about 10 years later in AD 62 in Ephesians 3, this is a different book, right? He goes from the least of the apostles in AD 54 to AD 62. He's now, he's now writing, I'm the very least of the apostles. So it's like um, he's even increasing in this understanding of his, his need for mm-hmm. God, his, his insecurity. And then in 1 Timothy 1, which is a few years later, he then goes from the very least of the apostles. Now he's saying the foremost of sinners. Mm-hmm. You know, So from the least to the very least, the foremost of sinners over the course of a decade as he's writing these letters. Even though he's obviously increasing in godliness, he's increasing in influence. You would think he's like feeling great about himself. What's actually happening is as Paul's like growing in influence and growing in, in his testimony and his his strengthening of his spirit is that he's he's growing in insecurity of himself. Yeah. You know? And that's be, that doesn't mean he's an insecure person. It means his security has shifted off of himself. He's realizing how insecure his foundation is on his own. Yes. And he's his influence is is increasing. And I don't mean like, oh, you're gonna become famous, but I mean like his his ability to minister is becoming stronger right. because his confidence, his security is in Christ and he's so much more aware of, of his insecurity, a.k.a. Yeah. the Bible would call that humility. Yeah, that humility. Yeah. He mm-hmm. must increase, I must decrease. Right, exactly. That's probably that yeah. principle. I had a conversation with Drew Gonzalez 
a few weeks ago mm. and I shared how my whole life I had a lot of things to to get confidence in from, right. from just like athletically mm-hmm. um, I remember dude I was at Baylor when you were when you were nacho I don't know yeah, if, you, if you like those days salsa <laughs> nacho <laughs> man yeah, salsa just, nacho yeah. hey, everywhere I, I yeah. went you yeah. know I, I I got a lot of affirmation just because I, I mean I don't know gifts that God had given right. me and some part of it was good some part of it was selfish mm-hmm. either way I got a lot of confidence from uh, how I looked how athletic I was mm. um, my social skills all those things right. gave me confidence and I mean, for the most part, if you just throw kids together, it's that's how it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. The one who is getting the most affirmation from the crowd right. will tend to be most confident. Mm. And then I got to this point in life where all of that just crashed, right. burned. Like, no matter what confidence you have in right. yourself and your abilities, eventually it's going to fail you. And it failed me. And then I turned around and just started going to God and was so, I was just, desperate for him mm. to tell me what do you god what do you right. think about me what do you think about me because mm. my whole life i was so concerned about what everyone else right. thought about me right right which is funny because often people come to me and be like dude how you just not care about right. what people think yeah it's because i figured out that, that <laughs> well i told him i actually care more about what people think probably than you do right right but what i learned was that where i've gotten to now is i care far more about mm. what god thinks right it's not about just ridding yourself of other people's no. opinions. It's about what does God think right. about you? So in that same way, I realized that the confidence that and security that I've been able to mm. walk in just strictly based on, hey, God, what do you think about me? Mm-hmm. And, and this is practically like every day, mm-hmm. every morning. Yeah. What do you think about me? Throughout the day, what do you think mm-hmm. about me? Has increased so much. And this is the cool part. Everybody has access to that same right. level of confidence. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you might just be mm-hmm. an ugly looking dude. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. You just you balding just, like me. Is yeah, you might just be losing yeah. hair. You might just be. Yeah. I mean, you in your head you might think, man, I like w- God gave all the gifts to somebody else, mm. didn't give them to me, right. right? Two things on that: one, you're looking at the wrong giftings, mm. looking at someone else's. But two, you have access to the same level of confidence mm. and security that everybody else has, the highest level, which mm. is confidence in right. Christ. Right. And as I've gotten older, like truly. I'm like more and more increasingly mm. surrendering the confidence I have from being yeah. a football player, right? From being um, successful in whatever mm. in business and successful in in relationships, right. friendships, notoriety, mm. whatever. Mm. That is increasingly getting less and less important, mm-hmm. and and so that's what's so cool is everybody has access yeah. to that same confidence right. and security in Christ. Well, I remember what was it, 2019? All of a sudden, I'm I'm at Highland and I'm like is that salsa nacho? Like, what is he doing? You know, I didn't even remember your real name. Cause that's what everybody called you back yeah. in the Baylor days. Mm. And, um, but what I, I didn't, I didn't see you as a man of confidence mm-hmm. that day or the, in that season. Yeah. What I remember seeing over and over again, week after week was a broken man mm. before God. Yes. I mean, it was like, you were always crying. You were always worshiping. You were always at the altar even when it wasn't Sunday, yeah, you know, it'd be like you'd be in the office and you'd peek your head in the in the meeting and you'd just be like, just praising the Lord, thanking you know God or, or encouraging us, and there was just this posture of humbling, yeah, that was constantly happening, and that was what I think that was the conversion that was happening in your life, yes. right? Where it was like from performance, from you mm-hmm. know I care what other people think, to 
the thing that matters most mm-hmm. is what God thinks. And this is a painful transition. Yes. <laughs> it's so all over my painful. face, you know, but, but watching God, you know, minister to you in that posture. I feel like if people are listening to this or if I'm, you know, just listening to you, I'm encouraged by your story of, of just being able to, you know, it's like the, the Bible talks about that. God, it, he, he meets the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. those who, who come before him, right. With that sense of humility, that sense of yes. posture. Right. And it's, it's just like, I mean, the sports analogy of like the baseball player who's like sitting at shortstop, just like, you know, twiddling his thumbs, like he's not ready. You know, it's like, you know, but when you're in little league, like what does the coach do? He's like, you know, get down, yeah. get in the posture, get ready, you know? Yeah. And like in a godly sense, it has nothing to do with, you know, being on the balls of your feet and being ready it, it, like an athletically, it's like being on your knees, being broken before yes. God you know, whether it's on a Sunday or, or in between, you know, and that's like what I think it takes, you know, and, hmm. and again, sometimes that's more intense emotionally. Yeah. But ultimately that's, that's what we need every day is to, you know, I, I love that phrase. Like, uh, you know, Oh, I rededicated my life to the Lord. It's like, well, honestly, like I need to wake up every day and, and rededicate <laughs> yes. my life to the Lord. 100%, you know, I need to like yeah. have that sense of brokenness, that sense of humility, that sense of insecurity in myself. And then convert that into a security in Christ. Yes. You know, like to me, that's like what I have to, self-sufficiency will just like sabotage my life. Right. right? And so I have to like remind myself over and over again that I'm insecure in myself, but I can find security in Christ. And yeah. I saw that in your life, bro, from a few years ago. Yeah, dude. And Praise you're seeing God. the fruit now. It's cool. Praise God for that. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can confidently say that, that, that posture hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. That really hasn't. I mean, there, right. there may be days you know, where I haven't been abiding, but mm. for the most part, I am, I'm not, I am resolved to never be deceived again. Right. That confidence in myself mm. is going to get me anywhere in mm. life. Mm. And I mean, like you said, sometimes it's more intense. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to go through more things. And I'm convinced that God allowed me to experience that level of intensity because he loves me so much that he was like, you're not going to, we're not going to do this right. back and forth thing right. forever. Mm. You're not going to be 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 going back from, okay, my confidence in God, my mm. confidence is in my strength, right. my confidence in God mm-hmm. back to my strength. He broke me to a level that I, I realized how helpless I was. Right. And then I realized, mm. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm always this helpless. Yep. We got to just posture that way. And then and back to the father idea. I mean, that's Hebrews 12 says, like a loving father mm-hmm. disciplines their child, so does your heavenly father who yes. loves you, yeah. disciplines you, you know, and it's, it doesn't, that's not always step one. Just mm-hmm. like with my kiddos, I'm like, please put on your shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the next time I'm like, please put on your shoes, you know? And then it, it increases in, in request, you yeah. know, but eventually there's a discipline there if, if that doesn't happen, you know, if, if there's a need, and again, putting on shoes is such a small thing, but you get what I'm saying. You yeah. Know? And, um, and so, yeah, I think that sometimes the most difficult even destructive, heavy, emotionally hard times in our life are actually the, the loving father disciplining mm-hmm. us, you know, and basically bringing us back down to a place of humility, a place of insecurity yeah. for the purpose of putting our security in Christ. Yeah. You know? Well, that, one of the things you said earlier was like, uh, you, you said you saw me there witness a humbling, mm. right? And it's mm-hmm. like the whole purpose of this podcast, right? right? The humbled <laughs> right. millennial. <laughs> It's very, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. It's not the humble right. millennial. Right. Mm-hmm. Humbled. Yep. Like I didn't choose mm-hmm. to be humbled the mm-hmm. way I did. Right. Um, I, I asked God to lead me and eventually he broke me. Mm-hmm. I was broken because of my sin, because of me hanging on to confidence in my flesh. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, my life changed so much after that because I, again, I, I got humbled to the point of, dude, I am so insufficient mm. and practically there's big changes in this. I never asked questions before 2019. Mm. Right. <laughs> I just didn't ask people questions. Right. Cause I was like, I know everything mm-hmm. I got enough to get, to get through. Right. That's one of the things that's funny. You said that cause I literally just read this this morning is, um, you know, this, there was this thing that I read that says it was talking about specifically evangelical Christians, but someone who was not an evangelical Christian defined them as people who don't have any questions. <laughs> like, and I was like, that hurts. Yeah. I don't like that. And it's honestly like there's truth in every statement, no matter how true, you know, I'm sure yes. there are people who will disagree with that strongly. And there are people who are like, amen, brother. I'm retweeting that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it reminds me of my college pastor back in the day, Kyle Dunn, when we were there. You might remember Kyle Dunn. I think you might have been at a dodgeball tournament or something that, uh, that you oh, came to. Oh, so, yeah. But that That's guy, a legendary he, yeah, story. He, used to, he used to say all the time, that college pastor, beware of the guy who has God figured out. Yeah. You know? And just this idea of like, yeah, not having questions, you know, thinking you have everything figured out, thinking yeah. you have God figured out. Like, again, that is the opposite of, of humility. Yes. You know, it's the opposite of listening. It's, it's arrogance. Yes. It's, I've arrived, which right. no believer should. There's always a next step. There's always a place to grow. Yes. There's a blind spot, you know. Yeah. And especially, and if anything exposes that, it's it's being more involved in a church. <laughs> it's being married. It's being a parent. <laughs> it exposes what you do not know and yeah. your blind spots in a really powerful way. And, yeah. Um, and so that's the blessing and the the difficult part of 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 having those things. But it's the refining that I that I love. And if if you can posture, if we can posture ourselves in humility and asking questions and learning then that is, I think that's what it means to be humbled you know, yeah. and to be humble, you know, over yeah. and over again. So I love that you tell that, bro. It's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny too, because personality wise, I haven't really changed. Mm. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to be super energetic. Right. I mean, there's moments where I'm not like right now, mm. last night, like I'm just tired from today. Right. So I'm much more calm right now, but most of the time I'm pretty hype. Right. Right. Um, pretty loud. I'm just pretty out there. I'll probably, I'll do just dumb things. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, people are like, God, this guy's out of control. Right. Yep. Um, and so if you, I've said this before, if you knew me six years ago and you just saw me from afar, mm. you'd probably be like, Oh, I mean, he's the same guy. Nothing's right. really changed, but it's when you actually would spend time with me mm-hmm. that you'd realize. And you could, and I know this because all of my closest friends, mm. And those who have known me before and after and I st- and still know me now are like, dude, you've changed so, so right. much. Mm. And simple things like I ask questions. Mm. I genuinely want to know the answer. I listen. I don't just talk. Mm-hmm. I don't interrupt as much as I used to. Mm. It's like all these things that are changing. And it was all because God just was like humbled me to the point. And it's funny too. Like, I, I don't know. I wrestle with this sometimes. Did God humble me or did just my, my sin humble mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Maybe both. Right. But I know that I got humbled right. in an extraordinary way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I'm not yeah. going, I'm not, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. And so um, the last question I want to ask you before we end um, would be what, I mean, you, you work with a lot of young people. Right. A lot of young people. What is one, if you were only to give them one piece of advice, mm. and they're guaranteed to get this piece of advice, right? <laughs> What's the one piece of advice that you would give young people Hmm. I think I would beg them, encourage them to avoid that microwave mentality of life. Hmm. 
especially as Christians, I, I don't know why it is, whether it be like rushing to marriage or, you know, rushing to a job or rushing to a position or something. There's this like need for it to happen fast. You know, it's like, I, you know, I'm ready. I, you know, I know the answers or I, you know, I know that she's the one or I'm ready, you know, whatever else, uh, because that, that microwave mentality, I don't know if it's because of social media, you know, and like now, you know, our seven second, you know, kind of TikTok kind of vibes mm-hmm. that, that maybe it was from the microwave could be the microwave itself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so although I feel like there's kind of a slap back against microwaves now where it's like, Oh, unhealthy food goes in there. Like we don't use them anymore. Like from the young people, but it's like, it's like we live in that idea. Instant. Yeah. Where it's like this instant pot kind of a mentality of like, I need this fast. And what I end, I actually think what that ends up producing in like a destructive, sinful way is like, that is a huge reason in my opinion, why things like, viewing pornography is so high amongst yeah. 18 to 24 year olds, even Christians. Like, I mean, Christians, 18 to 24 year old men and women, it's like 75%. Yeah. Christian men and women, yeah. 18, 24. And then it's like depression has never been higher. Right. Yep. And it's like, I think it's because whether it be seeking friendship or seeking relationship, we're actually willing to isolate ourselves. Like that's what porn does. That's what like gaming does. I'm not against gaming, but like over gaming or that's like what, you know, YouTube over YouTube, those mm-hmm. kind of things like being just like, isolating yourself instant pot and you know enjoyment instant what i want right creates this isolation creates depression creates a disconnect from reality because the truth is like relationships whether it's romantic or friendship take time they take years that yeah. you know, that's what grows you you know yeah. and they're real whereas like what's on your screen isn't real you know and so right. uh, and the same is true with jobs or i mean it's like people like oh i want you know this in my church so beep boop, boop you know and i and now i'm just like going to this other church mm-hmm. you know instead of like really you know, working through, you know, yeah. like, you know, like as a college pastor, if someone doesn't like what we're doing at Highland as a college minister, they'll just leave. They yeah. won't even tell me, you know, they'll just go to another church. <laughs> yeah. But like a lot of the older generations, they'll like throw a fit about it, which sometimes feels annoying, but it's like, that's good. That's like what yeah. family should do. We yeah. should like work through this stuff and they might be right. Like right. We, maybe we should change some things. It's so like just young people are willing to just like change, you know, I mean, there's like a big move right now. It's called like quiet quitting where it's like you keep doing your job but you do so in such a way that like you don't care. You work at a 40% capacity instead of a hundred. You get the paychecks. I mean like it's called quiet quitting, especially with online like work. It's very easy to do. And I think that's like a thing that a lot of people like, it's just that idea of like, man, like I don't want this. I'm just going to like, you know, quiet quit until I find something better, you know, and then switch over. And so just that microwave mentality, that instant pot thing, like it just messes up our life. We need to, to do the slow cooker, you know, in relationship, the slow cooker in the faith, you know, like that kind of stuff with God, you know, with our church, with our friends, with our roommates, um, instead of just, this isn't going the way I wanted to swipe, you know, which is what we do literally on our phone. It's also what we now do in our relationships and in our romantic ones and everything else too. So, yeah. So the, the, the advice is to avoid instant gratification, right? Stay mm. consistent, mm. buy in, be committed, rumble, Right. Like if you got a problem with somebody, if there's some, you know, if like, you know, yeah. it's like, tell them, you know, it's like, talk about it. Yeah. You know? It's like, that's going to make you better. Even if you're wrong, you know, yeah. you might be crazy prideful and like way out of line, mm-hmm. but that will expose that. Yeah. <laughs> Inst- yeah. You know, instead of just like, oh, well, like they don't know what they're doing. So I'm just going to do this. Other yeah. thing, or I'm going to leave or, you know, or whatever, um, or relationships. And again, I'm not encouraging everyone to stay in every romantic relationship there. And certainly there are bad ones that you need to get out of. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like just as soon as it's not perfect, we just, you know, hit the next microwave button or we swipe the next swipe and we go yeah. to the next thing, you know? And so, yeah. yeah so, I, yeah, I guess I even hear you say basically in a more practical sense mm-hmm. at any point, if you feel yourself just running from something cause it's mm-hmm. difficult, right. Red flag. Yeah. 
at least to slow down and, and ask the questions, ask the people around you, you know, yeah. click pause, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we just are in a, a fast paced move to the next thing. You yeah. Know? And, that, and that, that's only going to increase. I mean, five years ago, TikTok didn't exist, you know, and here we are, you know, it was like, oh, wow, we have, you know, 60 second videos on, you know, social media, then you know, our attention spans changing, you know, and now it's, you know, and that's just one example, but everything is just kind of going that direction towards fast, you know, swapping things yeah. out, you know, and so. Uh, that's I just I see that in a lot of young people and it's like man it's special like I've been in Waco for 14 years you know and it's like it's special to like have rises and falls with my church and mm-hmm. with my friendships and with my city you know mm-hmm. and it's like you know some of those are at their peak in a good way right now and some of them are in tough places but like yeah. you know it's like being able to really like be consistent in each other's lives yeah is I think what made has made the difference in mine yeah. in these years. So. I'd, I'd love to have you come back and us just talk about like uh, the younger generation. Yeah. Um, I want to talk just like even sharing specific, are you a millennial technically? Uh, I'm 31. So I think that makes me a millennial. You're I'm like, like right on the, on the right, right on the, it's one of those where you can choose either way. I'll, cho- yeah. I'll choose millennial cause I'm yeah. my balding head and my, yeah. my old soul. So you want to choose know? the younger yeah. one, but <laughs> we're technically both millennials yeah. and I'd love to talk about how just, we were kind of lab rat. Well, more so even me. Yeah. I'm, I'm 28, so I'm not too far behind you, mm. but kind of like the lab rats of social media, right? cell phones, all that. And then like we were the first ones to experience that. And I'm over here on the other end, like literally about to get a flip phone just cause I don't, I want to, I want to be away from my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I literally am as much as possible. I'm putting that thing away. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, it, I'm so sick and not even just porn right. porn. Yeah. 15 years addiction for sure. That was a huge part of it. Yeah. But now it's like, this thing is robbing me of just my ability to be alive, yeah, to be alive, to be present, to be present. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I look at Gen Z. I look at these high school guys that I'm leading and, and other younger guys, college kids. Mm-hmm. It's like no social skills because you don't even know how to, to, to talk to people mm-hmm. if you're not on your phone. Um, like, so insecure because every time you you felt insecure about something you just pulled your phone out and just started flipping yep. because you don't want to be sitting there like mm. all these issues right um i think it'd be cool to just kind of talk more on yeah. that one specifically but i want to end going back to where we started um with just the gospel which the good news of mm. of god being a a, a father mm. a perfect father that has adopted us right and and just yeah, and with mm-hmm. that, like from from your perspective mm-hmm. as a father who has adopted, mm-hmm. I want you to talk to the listeners mm-hmm. as if this is gonna be weird, but yeah. as if you're God, mm-hmm. and and they are your kids. So actually, mm-hmm. maybe even better to to help you understand. Imagine your daughters, mm-hmm. right? Like right now, coming to you and mm-hmm. just saying, "Hey, I, I feel rejected." Mm-hmm because my earthly father didn't want me. Mm. Like, I want you to talk to them. How would you tell them, explain mm-hmm. to them that you are mm-hmm. their father right? and how much you yeah. love them? Yeah. What would you say? Well, from a spiritual perspective, obviously not from the heaven, not from the earthly, but from the heavenly, you know, I mean, just that the Lord is my creator, you know, as, as, as our heavenly father, he is both the one who has created us, but you know, he's, he's, the author as the, as the new Testament would say, and the perfecter of our faith, right? That he, he is for us. He didn't just birth us and then disappear on us, but it was, I am for you. I am forming you. I know you, I am growing you. And that takes being in the dirt. Like, you know, 
uh, Frankie San Martin this this last Sunday at Highland. You know, I loved what he said on Sunday morning. He was like, all of the rest of creation, God spoke, but with humanity, he like got into the dirt, mm-hmm. used his hands, formed it, got dirty to form humanity, right? And in the same way, like that is how he interacts with us as his children, you know, is that he is with us, he is in us. He is, uh, you know, hurt even by us. He puts himself in a vulnerable position, right, to be grieved, the mm-hmm. New Testament would say, like a father would, you know, because because he loves us, you know. And it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I love about God is that it's like, you know, I knew by having children that I would hurt them, that I would sin against them, that the world would hurt them, that the world would sin against them, right? I knew that was a guarantee in their life. So I could have just decided I don't want to bring them in, you know. Mm-hmm. But I did because I love them because I wanted to love them because mm-hmm. I wanted them to experience love. Even though I knew that difficult things would come, that people would let them down, the love would be greater, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and so, I mean, for me, that's just like what, it, what it means to, to, to live that in a, in a big sense. But you know, there's also a, a daily aspect of that. Recently I've been thinking about a friend of mine. Uh, he has this quote and he says that we wake up to a smiling God mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, we wake up to a smiling God, you know, and just that that our our Father, our Heavenly Father, has new mercies for us every morning. He looks on us with with love, and with mercy, and with a smile because He loves us. Yeah, you know? and that's that's who our God is, in a big sense across our life, across time as yeah. He's created and sustained and saved, but also every single day. Yes, new mercies. Yeah, new smiles. Whoever you're listening, like if you feel that rejection just in any aspect from your earthly father um, or just uh, alone, unwanted, not mm-hmm. enough. Like you have a heavenly father who created you, who knows you, knit you together in your, in your mother's womb. Psalm 119 says mm-hmm. that you're fe- He made you fearfully and wonderfully uniquely. Like he spent his time making you cares right. about you. He wants you. He has chosen you. That is what it means to be adopted. That's right. And Drew can speak firsthand. Mm. I just want to end with this verse. It says that, um, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son or daughter asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or mm. if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? So if you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Mm. Can you close us in prayer? Yeah. Lord, thank you just for this opportunity Mm. an opportunity to be reminded of, of how much you love us, Lord, an opportunity to share testimonies, to brag on you. Lord, I pray for Silas. Mm -hmm. I pray for myself. I pray for any of the listeners today that we would build every single day upon your security, mm-hmm. upon your strength. Lord, that, uh, that, our, that our life would be marked by a growing insecurity in ourselves. Lord, a growing awareness of how little that we bring. Lord, a growing humility. Lord, that we would mm-hmm. be humbled and that you would be humbling us in our need, in our, in our awareness for how much we need you in our life, Lord. Yes. I pray that you would just powerfully touch anyone who's listening to this Lord in a supernatural way. Lord, would you just meet them where they are? Lord, would they know that they're loved by you or that they are supported by you, that they're, they're saved by you if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord. Mm-hmm. God, we ask that your spirit would meet them there Lord, and that they would encounter a loving father who never leaves them, never forsakes them Lord. And, and who gives them those good gifts. Lord, yes, we ask that in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks Drew.